It is amazing how pets and their owners, first of all, they look alike. It is, it is so true. I know people put articles on the internet about this and it, it, it is so true on a daily basis. Hello everyone, that was Joelle Rattan. She is our guest this week. And as a veterinarian, you can probably safely assume that this episode will be a lot of fun and hopefully uh, tell you some new things about a profession you've probably dealt with throughout your lives uh, as we've all loved our pets. It occurs to me as I do these intros that for those of you who have listened to us or me before talking about the podcast and why I do it and what we're trying to achieve is something you've heard before but then maybe you know we attract some new listeners and for those who are out there uh, thank you for your time and for spending it with us. But uh, the podcast is really, you know, as a good friend of mine described recently, you know, not everyone gets the chance to sort of sit down and pick someone's brain about a job, whether that be a young person starting his or her career, or maybe someone mid-career who's really looking for a change. So that's what we do. We sit down with great guests. We hopefully ask the right questions. We make it interesting, hopefully fun, a little bit silly. But at the end of it, the whole concept is that you walk away knowing a lot more about that job but maybe, and possibly, um, you have the, the, you know, the value that comes from all of that good advice that anyone has who's lived uh, you know, a piece of their lives working and has gone through it before. So that's what we're all about, and that's what you'll find today and in really in every, every episode. I won't keep you any longer. Let's jump into this one and uh, stick around to the end. As always, I play a clip from next week's episode, hopefully keeping you guys hooked and back and uh, you know, part of our a family of job speakers, fans. And again, thank you all. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the show. It's good to see you. Very good to see you too, Rob. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. What is your job? My job, I am a veterinarian and I practice in Florida, Sarasota in particular. Now, I know there are vets who do like horses and cows and other vets that do kittens and puppies. What specifically do you do as a vet? So I'm a small animal practitioner. There's, you know, we always have the option to go into large, go into small. But for me, the small field was much more fitting for what my, what my dreams were, so to speak. What is the happiest work moment you've had in the last week or so? Wow. Well, that's a tough one. I was on vacation for the past week. So past, I'll have past month or so. We'll, we'll extend yeah, it. The past month. Wow. That's a, that's a hard one. Cause we, you know, there's lots of great moments. And then of course there's those moments that are quite tragic. And I actually did have a tragic one a couple of weeks ago and it, it kind of, it, it holds a little bit tight because of the emotional content that's there so sometimes it overshadows things a little bit but I guess a, a recent one would be um, he had a German Shepherd come in with unfortunately a pretty nasty tumor in his rib cage that we were able to diagnose we biopsy we were able to figure out what it was and we actually referred I'm a general practitioner so I referred this particular case to an a surgical oncologist and they were able to actually resect part of the rib cage on this dog and actually, it's curative. This dog's doing fantastic. So we certainly have to watch for recurrence and so forth. But at this point in time, actually, the dog was in today. He looked fantastic. He was happy. He was wagging his tail. And 
he put about 10 pounds on. So, so that was probably my most recent like, good outcome that we've had. So that was pretty exciting. Do you have to love animals to be a good vet? You do. You do. Every day you're dealing with animals. So you certainly have to have a love for it, but not only a love for that, you need a love for people because there is a very special bond between a person and their animal, whether it's a dog, cat, cow, horse, whatever it may be, you have to have that compassion for the owner as well, because it's a very deep rooted emotional bond between the two of them. So certainly, yes, I love animals. And again, I love their owners a lot too, and they make it all, all worthwhile. How long have you been practicing? Do I really have to say that? <laughs> so I graduated in 2005. So I am currently in my 15th year, although I'll, I still um, wish or think like I just got out of school <laughs> because I don't want to think I've been out that long. But yeah, it's been 15 great years. So very, very fortunate. When you talk about the schooling part, can you just summarize what kinds of schooling someone needs uh, before uh, pursuing, you know, actual practice as a vet? Of course, of course. So what you have to do, and it is a, it's a pretty long program. So a lot of commitment is needed ahead of time. But after graduation from high school, I spent four years in an undergraduate program and obtained my my bachelor's and then after the bachelor's I applied to multiple veterinary schools and ended up at Auburn University and spent four years there so four years of undergrad four years of veterinary school coming out of course with your doctoral in veterinary medicine and then from there you have options so you can go straight into general practice if you prefer um, there's also different tracks you can go into. Um, for example, you can do internships. There's many internships that are a year long, some potentially longer, depending on which route you choose. Um, after that, if in fact you want to become a boarded veterinarian in a specialty like surgery or oncology or dermatology, ophthalmology, then that's a residency in addition to the veterinary program internship um, as well. So that's typically an extra three years on top of that. So again, you have options, you know, some, we all have our own paths and I think it also comes down to, um, you know, there's, there's bills that have to be paid after, after incurring debt, unfortunately, um, in that particular realm, but yeah. All that schooling leads me to ask the question, is it just as hard to become a doctor who works on people as it is on animals? Well, I can't attest to the people side since I'm not, but I will tell you that it is not easy to learn all the species. And oh my gosh, there's so many, like, when you go, you don't have an option just to learn small animal, you learn everything. So as you narrow down into your final year, you can start to focus a little bit more, but you still have to do cows. You still have to do, you know, the, the beef cattle, um, horses, we've had pig rotations. I mean, you name it, we've done it. So I tend to think, I think it's a lot to learn um, multiple species because they are all completely different. They have 
there's, yes, there's similarities, but there are way more dissimilarities. So me personally, because I'm a vet, I can guess I can be biased and say, I think it's harder to do what I do, but Hey, I'm not an MD. So I can't, I can't say from their perspective. It, it seems like there are more pets today than ever. And I don't know if that's because we are so heavily marketed right on chewy.com and all of these things. Um, is it true that there are more pets and, and the corollary to that is, does that mean there are more vets uh, than ever as well? You know, I think, you know, I, I don't know exactly like how, how many pets there are, but I do feel like over time, yes, it is increasing. Um, as for, are the number of vets increasing along with that? I think that kind of, it waxes and wanes. I think there's times when there's, there's higher numbers of veterinarians graduating, but at the, and then there's other years when maybe not as many graduating. So I don't think it's like a perfect, you know, I guess like a linear correlation. So I tend to think, I feel like I, I mean, goodness, we see a certain, we cer certainly see a lot of pets. But, um, you know, I, I feel like maybe there are more and, you know, again, maybe there, you know, as for graduating classes, maybe there's more, but again, it's not a, a perfect up and down or a perfect increase over the years. There's still, the classes are pretty darn small. So there's new colleges popping up, I will tell you. Um, there's, you know, there's a college out and I want to say it's in California. I might, you might have double check me on that. Um, and they don't have a teaching hospital. So there's new hospitals popping up that don't have teaching hospitals. So they're feeding, you know, they're, they're going through the veterinary curriculum and they're accredited, but unfortunately they don't have a teaching hospital. So those students are being disseminated into other hospitals or other schools that do have a teaching hospital because that's a, that's a lot for a school to have. The teaching part of it so we have I mean, a full stable we have a full small animal hospital at our school and again not all schools have that so I can't say the number of vets is increasing in proportion to the number of dogs and I wish I could answer that question better but unfortunately I don't have those stats it was um, like I said it was just a perception and and thought you might know but of course you can only see what kind of walks through your door yeah and what happens there and of course population growth could drive it in a given area versus overall exactly. and the other thing too you have to remember we don't see every pet in the home all the time so it's hard for us Austin, to know that so sometimes like people i will tell you when it comes between cats and dogs people are more prone to bring their dogs in than their cats so i think there's a lot more cats that are unaccounted for and people will tell me they oh i just bring my dogs in but my cats are fine they don't need to be to to a veterinarian so that's why it also makes it a bit difficult i think that things will be skewed gotcha so when you were little i don't know 10 years old was this the job you always wanted or how did you like with some people who have done 18 different things with their careers it's a crazy path that led them to today you described you went straight from high school in, into this path so was it always the always the plan or not no, I will tell you, it wasn't. It wasn't 100%. So growing up, you know, we had, my mom loved animals and we had dogs, we had cats, we had horses. I, show, I showed horses for years and years. But as I started into school, I, I always knew I wanted to do medicine. So medicine intrigues me. It's the route I always wanted. So it was always something along that, 
road. Um, after I started my first year of college, I actually entered into a PA program at Damon College in Amherst, New York. So I, I applied, I got in, was thinking, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and be a PA. I think that would be great. I'm practicing medicine. And you know, I, I was uncertain if I wanted to, you know, when you're a high school graduate, the whole MD schooling just kind of throws your mind for a little twist because that's a, that's a long time. So at that point, you know, it seemed like a lot. Um, so I spent one year in PA school and then I said, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm either, why don't I just go to medical school? So I actually transferred to the University of Oregon and I got I started into their pre-med program. So again, still medicine. And I spent a year there and then I said, oh, my weather wasn't so good there. And I, I had an opportunity to go to Auburn. So I decided to transfer. I finished up my undergrad and they're very, very heavy in agriculture at Auburn. And I started to kind of have that questioning between do I really want to do MD or do I want to go the veterinary route? So as I became more involved in the course structure at Auburn, I really, really loved the, the, the animal side of it. And I, I knew at that point that's what I was going to do. So from there, it was a you know, direct application into to vet schools. And then, of course, I settled on Auburn. Um, but yeah, it was a little bit of a twisted path. But at the end of the day, it, it's still medicine. You know, we're still you know, helping ailing, and, ailing pets and you know, preventative care. Um, you know, so it's, it fulfilled that desire in me to, to practice medicine. And, and like I said, it ended up working out exactly the way it should. Well, good. All right, now we're going to do something I haven't done for a few episodes, but I really enjoy, partly because I'm, a curious, uh -oh. I'm, partly because I'm curious as a person, okay. and partly because I have a strange sense of humor that, as, yes. as my wife likes to remind me, is mine and mine <laughs> alone. All you need to do is say true or false to each of these things, but if you feel a burning desire to go back to one of them, or if I do, we have every right. Okay, you ready? Okay, ready? let's do let's it. Go. True or false? Dogs are better patients than cats. True. <laughs> if you and I were stranded in some faraway place and I got almost mortally wounded, could you use your vet skills to save my life? I could. I totally could do that. That sounds like enthusiasm, but I don't want to be almost mortally wounded. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want that to happen, but I totally if feel it like did it happen. Yeah, if it yes, did. I could okay. do this. The next one was my favorite one. Again, in my own mind. Imagine you meet three people and you spend 20 minutes with each one, and then you meet three dogs. Aside from them, and you spend 20 minutes with each of those. How confident are you that you could pair each dog with its owner? Very. We're going to come back to that. Yes. So it's a big, that wasn't a true false. That's a true and a very. True and a very. Okay. Yes. True or false? When it comes to being a vet, your pure doctor skills are just as important as the bedside client management skills. True. And the last one is when I can act like a 13-year-old and say, when you were training to be a vet, did you ever put your arm up a cow's butt? Oh, yes. <laughs> See, True. I'm I, I'm so excited. None of those are true or false. I'm like, did you do this? Did you do that? So let's, <laughs> let's go back to your 
emphatic, true, yes, I could. Yes. With the scenario that you meet three pets and meet three people, how is it that you feel oh you It is amazing how pets and their owners, first of all, they look alike. It is, it is so true. I know people put articles on the internet about this, and it, it, it is so true on a daily basis. In addition to that, like the demeanors, like I'll have somebody come in who's like a super anxious individual. Their dog is so anxious. I have another person come in, they're calm as can be, and they have the most chill laid back animal you'd ever meet. It's, it's amazing. And then you can like pick up on nuances of people and their, their attitude or maybe how they live at home or how they conduct themselves and totally see it in the animal. It is, it's so easy. Yes, hands down. <laughs> I'm guessing with cats, it's not quite the same or is it? Because they're a little bit more independent, it seems. There's a bit more independence. Yeah, cats are just, they're just their own little entity. They just don't re read any rule book. It's just, they do their own thing. Totally independence. You see animals every day. You've talked about the internet. And personally, I think animal videos are the best. But for you, are you just sick of it by the time you get home? Yes and no. I will tell you, there's some really good videos out there that I've enjoyed. Some of like probably more the cat videos, to be honest, like some of just the crazy things cats do. Because unfortunately, in a veterinary setting, they're scared. You know, the, the owner grabs them at home, they chase them down, they stick them in a carrier, they pop them in the car, they bring them to me. By the time they get to me, they're completely terrified. So their little personalities don't shine out. So some of that's kind of fun to see. Um, at the same time, you know, some of this stuff, I mean, I live it. So yeah, there's some videos I'm like, yeah, I mean, for some people it's super entertaining, but for me, it's kind of like, yeah, that was just another day in my life. So yeah, mixed. Do you have pets at home? Of course. And what do you have and what are their names? Oh my gosh. Okay, so I have one dog and he is the most sweet, adorable dog in the entire world. He was a little rescue. So I lost my lab. You knew me when I had my lab. So I lost my Tucker and we were without a, a dog for about just under a year or so. And my husband and I actually... We're just out and about eating breakfast at Panera here in Sarasota. And there was like this little group of dogs in the pet store next door. I shouldn't even say pet store. It's more like a, a dog bakery. So they weren't like selling animals, nothing like that. So this little cute dog bakery shop thing. And there was dogs everywhere. So of course I had to go out and investigate. So I went over and my husband and I, we just found this little dog. And oh my gosh, he was so cute. My husband's like, look at him, look at him. And we got him out. And that was it. So he's this, he's a Havanese shih, shih Tzu poodle kind of mess, but he's like the perfect mess for me. He's so good. He's so easy. He's chill. He's just absolutely amazing. So yes, I feel very, very lucky. But other than that, I mean, if you, if you could say like kids are <laughs> animals, then maybe I have two, but. So you no, just added, you just, fun. you just added your four-year-old son to your pet inventory. Possible. Maybe one day when we're all a lot older, he'll, he'll hear this and come knocking and say, Mom, what was that about? Oh, no. He will totally agree with me. He's, he's on the furniture more than, I mean, any dog will probably ever be on the furniture or on top of this or on top of that. So, yeah, he totally takes it hands down. <laughs>
So you will I, meet him, you will know this. Yes, and I'm sure I will. I'll brace myself. <laughs> we, we talked a little bit about happy moments and challenging moments. Um, I'm going to turn that a little. If you were to really zero in on what you love about your job and what mm -hmm. maybe you don't love so much about it, what would those uh, two things be? Yeah, that's, that's a lot of people ask that question. Um, the things I love about my job, honestly, are the supporting of the human animal bond. Like to see some of these people come in and to see the love they share, it's, it's so different. You can't even explain it. I think it's more like something you feel. And you just see the way the dog interacts with the human and how the human interacts with the dog and the, the job and function that that dog plays a role in. Like it's, it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. So for me, that's what drives me to do what I do on a daily basis and puts a smile on my face. And, and as I can be the person to promote that, that's what, that's what makes me tick. Um, the least favorite part of my job um you know of course i guess there's a couple things one the really sad cases that come in um not that unless you want me to go into detail i will um but you know i had a case about two weeks ago it was probably the saddest cases that i've had in my 15 year career and it was it was hard just like to see the emotional toll that it took on this individual was was beyond beyond anything that anybody can handle. And on the positive side, it was nice that we could be there to support him through that and to be a shoulder to cry on, a shoulder to lean on and that type of thing. But, you know, another hard thing, it wouldn't be something I dislike about my job, but just a hard thing is, you know, it's because of how strong that bond is um, between a, a, a pet and their owner. You know, sometimes it gets hard to, continually support um, the stress and, and be so compassionate throughout all that. Because for example, I'll you know, go into a room with a pet I've taken care of for 12, 15 years, and I have a very strong bond with that pet and with that owner, and I'm euthanizing it, but waiting for me in the next room is an owner who just purchased a puppy. So trying to ensure that you know, both of them feel the love and compassion and warmth that they need. It's hard. It's hard at night. So sometimes you come home and, you know, you're physically exhausted because you're up and down on the floor all day and, and giving so much of yourself. But, um, you know, it, it takes a toll on you at the end of the day after, after going through a lot of those kind of emotional roller coasters and, and being super supportive as we are. Well, I don't, I try not to do too much talking, but, um, what the audience w hasn't been told yet is, of course, when we lived closer, you took care of our animals. Yeah. And I remember um, it was our chip, our chippy. And I remember, oh, yeah, dude. I know. Oh, I love that dog. When he, when it was time for him to go, you know, you were the call we made to just double check that what we were seeing and doing was the right thing. And that puts what you just said in perspective for me. And I get a little choked up talking about it because oh. I missed the guy, but um, you are awesome at what you do. Um, this podcast isn't marketing. If it were, I'd like launch one just for you because you're really good at what you do. But that's another reason I wanted you on because I, um, I, you know, it wasn't just some random. We didn't walk it, walk into each other outside of Publix. I know you, and I've seen you do no. that. So, so that means a lot, and I realize it could be taxing and 
a, a lot of giving of energy when you don't always get it depending on your day. Um, what, this is a, a tactical question has jumped into my mind. Um, what kind of hours could someone expect to be working if they take a job like yours? Yeah, and that's such a good question to ask because that's one that I was thinking, okay, he's got to ask this question. Um, you know, it is so variable throughout the industry. Um, you know, for example, my first job out of school, I was working six days a week. I was there from eight in the morning was when my first appointment was there. And then I was there till six at night. And we got a, a lunch and I use that in quotations because unfortunately, you know, emergencies come in and, you know, sometimes, you know, through your lunch hour, you're catching up on records or making phone calls and those types of things. So it was, you know, an eight to six schedule. Um, there was one day that was a little bit shorter um, during the week, but that was pretty long. Um, as for currently, like where I'm, where I'm at, the vet and I, we do pretty well in regards to a work-life balance. So at this point, it's a pretty much an eight to six schedule four days a week. So that it makes it more tolerable. And then the weekends were actually closed on the weekend, which is super unlikely for veterinarians. Most veterinarians are on or on duty on the weekend. Some are even going to Sunday hours as well. And the reason I say also that's kind of a hard one is because it depends what you're doing. Like if you're an ER clinician, you may be working 15 hour shifts. And again, it depends on what you're, how you're contracted in regards to how many hours you will be working. And then another option. And one other thing that I do myself too, is I actually do some relief work. So I have a, you know, I started doing that in Sarasota before I took a full-time position because I wanted to learn about other clinics and kind of get my feet wet for the area and find out where I, you know, as best belonged. Um, so a lot of people will do relief work and you can pretty much build your own hours and build your schedule. So it's really variable and, you know, every practice because it's small business, but I will tell you, many of them are being bought out by corporate entities at this point. Um, but I'm still small business. So we do have that flexibility, which is nice. What's the biggest misconception about being a vet? Oh, well, the biggest misconception is that we make a ton of money. Because veterinarians are rich. And I think most veterinarians will all say, you know, we, we honestly do it because we are passionate about what we do and we really love what we do. We put a lot of hours in, we put a lot of effort in, and it's not the most lucrative job in the world. Granted, there's ways to make more. Again, there's so many different jobs within, you know, I, I'm just a practitioner, but there's so many other jobs that you can do holding a DVM degree. So, you know, again, that speaking from a general practitioner's point, point of view, it's, it's not a super lucrative position. So I just say, you know, go into it with an open mind and, and really be passionate and love what you do. And at the end of the day, if in fact you love what you do, it doesn't matter. I mean, in my opinion, certainly we all want to make as much money as we can, but at the end of the day, we also want to be happy getting up in the morning and going doing what we're doing. So I feel like that, that, us as a profession, that's more of what our focus is at this point is just love what you do. And, you know, again, it's, it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's just, you know, I, people have this perception that you're a vet and you make like, you know, an MD salary. And that's not true. Besides what you just said, which is almost 
like the answer to the last question I typically ask, is there anything else, if someone's really seriously considering this, they need to know yes. so that they're super well informed before they make that leap? Yeah, you know, I think one of the, and I'm glad you asked that because I was going to say it anyway. Um, I think one of the biggest things, if somebody were to actually want to become a vet and go to vet school and so forth, they really need to look into the cost of education, unfortunately. It's, I have peers that are coming out of college or veterinary school at this point with two, $300,000 of debt. That's a lot. That is a lot of money. And, you know, there's different ways for forgiveness through, you know, certain programs, but they're few and far between. So the reality is, is you really need to be sure you want to do it you know, be focused on it and then, you know, ensure that you're prepared to take on that amount of debt because it's, it's pretty much across the board, unfortunately. So that's probably one of the biggest things. That's come up with some of my other guests in terms of even evaluating non-college careers. And that tends to be <laughs> one of the major benefits that you can start on a path where you're not, you know, laden with that debt. And, right. uh, and it sounds like in your case or in your field's case, it's something that can be significant and combined with what you said before, which is you're not, you know, a super millionaire and now you have a super, a lot of debt, those things, you might want to add them together and think about it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's why, you know, we, we mentor a lot of kids at our office. We get a lot of um, volunteers, um, you know, people who are like at some of the technical colleges and things like that. And, and we always have that very, very open discussion with them because it needs to be addressed and it needs to be spoken about because it is a huge concern, you know, the amount of people, the amount of debt and, you know, the payback, you know, what if you're, you get out on your job, first job and you're not making that much, but you know, your, your student loan payment is more than your mortgage or double your mortgage. That's, you know, it's certainly significant. So yes, it needs to be looked at. And, you know, if somebody's willing to do that, I think it's a great field. Um, and it's a lot of fun and very rewarding, but it's, it, it certainly puts a hindrance on us. Last question. You answered it somewhat when you talked about following something that, you know, you, you're passionate about and enjoy. But if you were to take a step back, maybe from the details of what you do and offer career advice for the entire world to hear, and I do have at least seven listeners outside the U.S., some massive number like that. Wow. What would that advice uh, be, Joelle? Wow. What do I want people to know? Repeat your question. Okay. So I make sure I answer it well. Provide broad career advice for the world to hear, mm -hmm. whether that be for a young person or maybe someone even thinking about a career change. Um, what would that advice be? You know, the best is love what you do because if you hate it, if you do not like getting up in the morning, if you don't like putting your work clothes on, if you don't like going out that door in the morning it's not right you have to love what you do and that's the the i guess the perks and the bonus of what i get to do i get to get up every morning yes i know there's stress yes i know that there's going to be things that are going to be hard to deal with yes i know that there's negatives that always no matter what you do there's going to be negatives but at the end of the day you have to love what you do and that's why i i mean for my job i feel so fortunate to be able to do that and that's i guess my best advice is 
the money will come and the happiness will come. And again, it's not even all about that. Just be happy doing what you're doing and, and good things come from that. So. Well, thank you. That was great. You're welcome. You're spending so 30 minutes or so with me. I know you're a busy new mom, newish mom. Not new <laughs> hey, mom. Still, new. still learning every day. I bet. But thank you. And, and I know, I know our listeners, my listeners will, will love it. Love the stories, love the insights, love the passion. So thanks. I hope so. I hope it gives some insight. And I'm so thankful that we got to catch up as well. I certainly, I miss you guys since you have moved a little, a little ways away from us, but I'm so happy to be able to catch up with you as well. So thank you for having me. Thank you, Joelle. That was a great episode. My, my two dogs, a lab and a dachshund shepherd mix, which really translates to a massive dachshund, uh, are really excited and don't know why. So it's probably because of this episode. Uh, at any rate, the thought that just came to me for everyone out there listening is give some thought to all the amazing people you know. Because this podcast has certainly given me, has certainly given me the opportunity uh, to reconnect with people and, and do what I do here on the podcast. And I'm always impressed by people I already met, people I already knew. So give that some thought. Next week, we have the pleasure of spending some time with someone who uh, teaches our college kids uh, Spanish. Her name is Allison Karras, and here's a clip, but I'll say a bit more about the episode before uh, before we sign off. No two are going to be alike. No two are going to learn the same. So I've got to take all of my knowledge <laughs> and apply what I know for this introvert or this shy person or this super extrovert that wants to dominate the class and talk all the time and really manage the dynamics as well. And I'm not saying you need a PhD to do that, but I am saying that you need to know your methodology before you get into the classroom. So that's Allison, a great episode. Um, obviously I'm biased, but I really had so much fun have, you know, enjoying the time with Allison and, and talking to her. But two thoughts came to mind. You know, when I started this podcast, the intro for the very first episode, you know, I talked about the concept of us living in bubbles and Allison, someone I just would never have met at this stage of my life. And I get the privilege of hearing her story and feeding off of her energy and again, really enjoyed it. My second thought is something I've, I've said to the kids I mentor, and that is you are who you hang around with. And again, reflecting on, you know, my time talking to Allison, she's just someone I would love to hang around with. She is, you know, again, energized and committed and, you know, really dedicated to her work and to maximizing her life. So keep that in, in mind, too. If, uh, you know, at any stage of your lives, regardless of your age, if it just feels like maybe you've hit a plateau or maybe you aren't inspired by the people around you, that's something you can fix. It just takes a little bit of courage and, and, and maybe extending yourself past your comfort zone a little bit. Uh, but uh, but at any rate, uh, I mentioned that because I think we all maybe now and then need a reminder uh, that, uh, you know, pushes us in a positive direction. So I don't want to get all preachy. I don't do that on this uh, podcast and I'm not about to start today. So I'll end it here. As always, it's a privilege to spend time with you and for you to spend time listening to our guests. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope you come back next week. 
And uh, with that being the case, uh, be good, be well, be safe. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>